it's the same message. It's just that we we start, we talk about it in our group, and you know these are regular occurring problems in manhood, mm-hmm. and there's been you know so much so much pressure on the behavior aspect of like falling in line and doing what you're supposed to do, mm-hmm. and it actually doesn't help you. And that's the weird balance here. It's like, hold on. So if I try harder, it doesn't help me? Yeah. Well, actually, yes. So it's like this matter of like surrender to like, okay, I can't, I don't have the strength to do this. So, you know, rely on your higher power, whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. to actually relieve you and help you to change who you are. Because, you know, I believe in an omnipotent, omnipresent God that, that literally loves is the only language that he has. And... For me, it's that surrender of like, okay, I'm just going to give myself solely to this perfect being. Mm -hmm. And he's going to make me perfect through him, not through me. Not through me. I don't Mm -hmm. do more or less or try to behave. Uh, He actually just transforms. And that's the... I think that's like one of the key things that I'm learning right now is like, I feel like once I say it, it'll be very freeing. I don't have many listeners. So it's like, whatever. But also, I know it'll be out there kind of forever. Yes. Um, but at the same time, like, who is going to judge me? But I think at the same time, it will be a lot of guys being like, that's how I feel too. Mm. But we don't talk about it. And that's one of the key, key reasons I started is I feel like I may have the strength as an individual to do that, to right. lead that. Like, I don't believe in a higher power. I believe I can be transformed, maybe not through myself, but through admitting it. Mm. And then, like, casting that out. And then I can change. Like... Not really in the sense of a higher being doing it. I more believe in the, that I do have the power to do that within myself. But until you admit it, you don't. Until mm-hmm. it's cast off from you and you don't feel the shame inwardly, you might be able to... You do it because you've, re- you've let your chains out in a very public way. It's like a like let it into the light and then mm-hmm. light can kind of... Yeah, because it's exposed and no. It doesn't longer. hold you back anymore because you, you've let it not hold you back anymore. Mm. You've you've said what you needed to say. You've cast it off. Welcome to the Imperfect Podcast, where we discuss masculinity more intentionally and purposefully. On, episode, on this episode, Johnny and I go deeper into our, our conversation about uh, pornography, sex addiction, drug addiction, marriage, the church, um, and just some of the things that we've noticed in society and culture that may be uh, holding men back or holding families back from really pursuing healthy relationships um, and healthy systems of support and mentorship um johnny uh also talks about kind of his um, situation growing up and how that uh got him to where he where he is today uh, in a relationship with god and, and a healthy relationship with his wife and a lot of the steps that it took to get there um listen to this pod episode on spotify itunes google play and anywhere podcasts are available um i look forward to having you hear this episode uh, it's very uh, personal to me and to him. Uh, I talk about things I've never talked about before, 
And I'm really looking forward to having you hear it. And I think a lot of young men will be able to relate a lot to this message as a whole, um, but also understanding that it is um, from a unique perspective of someone who's not in the church anymore, but grew up in the church and someone who wasn't really in the church and, and had a struggle and is now back with the church. So those, those two kind of reverse opinions kind of feed a lot into our conversations for this whole episode. So I hope you enjoy it. with Jonathan, Johnny, yes, uh, someone that I know through my dad mm-hmm. and who he met at the church, but he's, he's a young guy like me, one of my dad's favorite people to talk to, I can tell you that right now, he oh, loves talking to you, uh, but why don't you just introduce yourself a bit, say who you are, what you do, yes, and yeah, let the world know. Yes, Johnny, Jonathan, Bello, uh, I guess Bello Beats as well, I'm a music producer, Um my full time is a, a general manager at an insurance restoration company, so uh, restoring houses and businesses for floods and fires, and we're the first response on uh, people in their time of need there. Um, yeah, we met through, it was actually at a pig roast, I think I met you the first time, and yeah. we hit off because of hip hop, and you were talking about different hip hop groups that you like, and uh, I was impressed by your breadth of knowledge on on how much you appreciate uh, hip-hop music and and the changing of hip-hop and the new stuff and we talked about some classic stuff and shabby was there and so shabby's a uh, huge uh, part of my life and so he was he's uh, in the biz- music business for 20 years and so on mm-hmm. so when you guys got riffing back it was really good to see so <laughs> that's when we first met yeah and uh I guess that was the first time we met. Yeah. I didn't even want to go that day. I remember that. Because I'm like, ugh, it's another thing. I don't know who any of these people are. Yeah. Um, but my dad said there was food. I think he said there's a guy. I think he said that I want to introduce you to Johnny. I think that's sure. one of the reasons I was like, okay, fine, I'll go. Um, then we did have that cool conversation. I've always wanted to get into music production. I've always loved hip-hop. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, being a corny white guy, who knows? <laughs> um, but I'm really excited for you to be here. We've had a couple conversations out on your we had a nice conversation on yes. your porch one time uh-huh. when I came over to see your your music studio, mm-hmm. um, talking about some of the uh, past life that you have now. You've transformed. Mm-hmm. Um, you're a Christian, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so I'm really interested and intrigued in going into a bit more of that background with you. Um, but why don't you kind of kick it off maybe with... Um, your your past life and you introduce it and I'll I'll figure out kind of where I want to lead it from right <laughs> like the testimony area yeah because um, I think this is a, almost a familiar story for a lot of folks that maybe grew up in the church I didn't have family that was going to church my uh, my friends were involved and I would you know go with them and I would go by myself and and it was kind of a walk this is like you know teenage years um, except to the Lord when I was ten uh, and that was like a you know, personal experience for me. Um, but then after, uh, and then I was, you know, raised playing worship music in the church as well. So, um, but not heavily, heavily involved in, uh, you know, the politics of it all, etc. But we had, um, <laughs> had a lot of worldliness. So we were partying and uh, we were the cool kids. Like we were the skateboard kids, the uh, you know, the guys that were getting the girls, we were in the band, you know, we, 
uh, we're traveling, doing some touring and stuff, and um, drugs, sex, rock and roll. That was really what we're into. Mm-hmm. We were enjoying ourselves in that uh, that avenue. I think at, uh, b- below it all, we had a really core, good group of friends that really loved each other, really did, like really stuck our necks out for each other and mm-hmm. um, had a brotherly bond and still do to this day. It's like, you know, high school friends and elementary school friends that I still, you know, they're, they're uh, you know, my best men at my wedding and you know it'll it'll go back and forth like that like we'll all be uh, together and i don't think there could be anything that can happen because mm-hmm. there's been lots of drama along the way i don't think there's anything that can happen that can actually break this stuff up so yeah um but amongst that yeah just we we were had we had rules right only organic we'd only smoke pot and we'd only do mushrooms this is in high school and that was our only rule and then that that rule got broken with cocaine and that rule um got actually it was mdma i think was first and uh you know oh yeah it's the it's the natural form of ecstasy <laughs> like, yeah the devil's a liar it's not like it's not completely not and so we were clubbing and um actually we're involved in i think it's like when was what year was that 2008 some when when electro music like electro yeah so this was this was like the punk rock of electronic music this is before they actually had like a kick drum. Like Tiesto was not on the radio, mainstream radio. It didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And you didn't have artists like David Guetta actually with breakout hits. So like the radio was a completely different ecosystem and space at that time. So we were in these clubs and I saw bloody beetroots at the wrong bar. The wrong bar is like, you know, 40 feet long. Like it's like 20 feet wide. It's the smallest bar in Toronto and they had this huge act and the roof was dripping and you know it was just complete mayhem and, mm-hmm. and so we were involved in you know i don't even think i was 19 like i don't even know how old i was um and that was it was always around the music and you know music drugs women with that was all kind of rap wrapped together um and so then there was cocaine <laughs> so that was my natural personality is pretty relaxed Mm -hmm. and so cocaine was like it's an upper it was like a really good experience I was like oh my gosh like you know I can get more done because I was kind of just a really big hustler and I wanted to do more and you know it was just an avenue for me to do more and then what I would do is I would actually just start making music so I would either do Ritalin or MDMA or uh, Dexedrine or, or cocaine and then I would start making music and producing stuff Mm -hmm. and it was more like trying to document this space um what's a really odd thing about cocaine is that there's there's this darkness and and there's this there's this emptiness that comes from using it often and what i found really strange was when I, i had done it in the day and normally it would just be like an evening thing but when i and when in the evening you know the darkness kind of matches the place but mm-hmm. it was really this realization when i had done it in the day and it was the same feeling and and it felt so off for me and i realized like this is actually not benefiting me anymore i'm being fiendish and I'm, it's a problem and i just i completely kicked it mm-hmm. and it was like most things in my life uh it was just gone. Like I just, I made a decision. I'm no longer going to do this. Boom. And then it's finished. Um, and I had actually stopped drinking before that. So I was, um, in an, the back of an AA meeting 
celebrating my friend's dad's one year mm-hmm. and they had a kind of a call to action at the end like does anyone want to you know start their journey or are we celebrating 11 months 10 months nine months and they kind of go down and then my buddy in the back kind of kicks me and goes like hey bellow should you should do it bud and i had this other realization of like oh my gosh like I, you're way worse than me like he was joking like i'm bad yeah and i'm thinking like no like you're so much worse than me and it was that like stubborn broken way of like i'm better than that and i'm better than you yeah what the heck and it was that literally was made me stop drink so it, it was a big kind of progression but throughout that whole journey women were the real issue mm-hmm. and i had no idea um no idea it was such a strange experience so that was actually um and these are along years and kind of out of order, but you know, it was in 2016 where I actually got woken up. And this is my testimony where the Lord stepped in and said, it's all or nothing. And I chose, I want it all. And, um, through a six month period, everything in my life had, had completely changed. And one of the first things that changed was I was inviting my friend to go to a 12 steps group through our church. And because I know he had been going to an NA in the city and every time he talked about it, he had said how negative it was because uh, it's in like the inner city and he can't really relate to the people because he's mm-hmm. a suburban guy and, you know, it's it just wasn't working. And so I wanted to invite him to this 12 steps in our church and just accompany him. And then while I sat down, it was like all the cameras turned in on me and I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm here for myself. Like I really have a problem. Mm-hmm. Um and my problem was Tinder. I was on Tinder hours and hours a day. I was on um, uh, pornography using it day and night. Um, you know, throughout the day, I was just planning dates to go on. And so it was just, you know, uh, it was another fix. It was another drug. It was mm-hmm. like, you know, using people for my own pleasure. And uh, it was a game. And what I realize now, like even MSN Messenger and ICQ and like we're going the births of the Internet when it was like a dial up Internet. Mm-hmm. And we, and I was picking up girls through texting, you know, mm-hmm. that was how I got girls originally. Mm-hmm. And that was like a new era of I can actually I don't have to be this, uh, you know, alpha guy. I can be really intellectual and caring and artistic and poet poetic. And that is how I can, you know, win influence with, with women being a wordsmith. And, and so that's how, um, you know, early on in my youth, it was always kind of progressing in that direction. And then something like Tinder is like mm-hmm. fish in a barrel for someone that's been training all that time. Yeah. Um, but big time struggling, not realizing that what I was doing was a mess because I was celebrating amongst my peer group. Mm hmm. And, you know, guys are saying, you know, like high five and, uh, you know, celebrating activity that was tearing me internally apart. And I had no clue. And so that was a a big realization point in Mm -hmm. 2016. And so when you went on these Tinder dates, did it always end in like a hookup or was it just kind of a date? Was it pretty well? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting because right now I'm I'm like exploring the, the, um, online dating world, I guess, but I have a rule or I, I try to make it a rule not to get physical at all on the first date. And this is like a, a kiss on the cheek at the end or anything like that. Cause I know like when I use Tinder, like 
I'll just say this. I'm not as physically attractive as Johnny here. Um, but I also, I have to rely on like my wit, my personality a lot more, mm-hmm. I feel, because in my head, I, I don't think of myself as like the most attractive physically guy. So I've always had to rely on that, which is why on Tinder and all these other dating apps, it's it's been hard for me to, it's been a damaging to my ego mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Because it's like, I'm not getting matches unless they're with girls that are, to me, kind of not the most attractive but there, there's a certain type of girl that likes me and i just don't like that type of girl but i would i would swipe on them because i knew that they would give me attention mm-hmm. and so i hated the way i used tinder myself and i would i would try to use it to boost my own ego or try to get some sort of edge just to make myself feel better in the long run because i wasn't going out like i was having no um romantic uh, interaction with women in my life. I like they're all. I have tons of female friends, but there was none that uh, I was having a relationship with, like in any way beyond just friends. And so, like I, in that way, I kind of felt lonely. Mm-hmm. And so, I would use Tinder or Bumble now as like an escape to to feel that way. And I knew in my head that's why I was using it. And so, like now, I don't. I've used it to find dates, but I hold myself to a higher standard when I use them now to not. Or to try my hardest not to behave that way in terms of like the quick fix or trying to engage with them for my like immediate sexual pleasure in yeah. a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, I've become really good at it. I delete them from my my phone. There's moments where I feel more lonely than uh, than others, and so I put them back on. But I haven't had to do that in a while. I use it strictly now for like trying to actually find dates. Um, but there's been. A couple times where I've, I've failed at like not making it physical. I've only, um, but I, I've regretted both of them, mm-hmm. like in, in the sense of, of, uh, using it for hookup, hooking up, I guess. Um, I've only ever done it twice. I've never come out of it. And most of it was to try to explore. It wasn't used in any way beyond trying to explore myself in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, you could probably speak to this too. In growing up in the church, there's a lot of talk about sex and how you can only do it with someone you're married to. Mm -hmm. But if you don't subscribe to that belief anymore, what is your relationship with sex now? What is, where is the line for shame and not shame? You've grown up. So even though I don't prescribe to the idea that you only have sex with one person or you only have sex after marriage anymore. And so I was trying to explore that. I'm like, am I interested in hooking up? I did it. Found out I'm not. Um, I came away from it feeling very, just like the same before, just like empty, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like, what is, there was no value that I got out of it. There was no sexual pleasure in a lot of ways there. I, I feel like I'm someone that needs the emotional connection. So I'm like, okay, I'm not into hooking up. I understand that now. And so now I'm like trying to figure out a relationship. Where is my moral line where is my shame line of sex because i don't prescribe but like there's still so much carry down now from my relationship in the church Mm -hmm. of you have to align this way but i don't align that way but i don't align fully with waiting till marriage either so it's my my hooking up was more for a trying to find my own sexual identity i guess not in the sense that maybe i was just trying to hook up for the sake of hooking up. I don't do that. I, well, I guess it was. But I don't have a list. I don't high-five people when I hook up with people. Like, I'm not counting. Mm-hmm. I don't call them kills. 
like a lot of guys do. I couldn't believe that. I was out of that. Yeah, we, we were. We had other names for it, but kills was never the. Yeah, it never hit my. Uh, no, and I think both both genders. I think use it. I, yeah, I, probably. But I think men definitely use it a lot more in like mm-hmm. a dominating style. Like they brag about it. Like well, well, it's an interesting like even just that word itself. Like because when you get something like that from somebody, it's like when someone, when someone gives you their 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 it's something so special mm-hmm. and. And, you know, it kills everything after. Mm-hmm. So it does. It does kill mm-hmm. when it's when it's not done appropriately. And this is where it's like I go to design, and because um, it doesn't necessarily like for me, it's not just my belief. It's actually by design. Mm-hmm. And so when I was sleeping with with multiple women, my I'm connected to multiple people. And so I would wake up and I would be depressed and I'd have nothing to be depressed about. Mm-hmm. And then, or I'd wake up and I'd be uh, feeling good. And I, and it was like, it, it just felt like it wasn't me because I was literally connecting to someone and they were living their own life and I, something good or bad could happening. And I'm feeling it in my body. Like it was a physical reaction for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's actually called a soul tie. So, when, when I look at sex now, and I look at the human body, the connection, and when, when I make a connection with somebody, I'm actually creating a soul tie with that person. The male responsibility to protect women, women's virginity is tremendous. And that's what's lacking, mm-hmm. and you know that's what's being exploited because because the male leadership, I feel like all the time, uh, even with you know uh, really really strong women and and so on that are um, you know in control, independent, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. There's nothing against that, but there's something that is in masculinity that you know we have an opportunity, we have the responsibility to protect. Mm-hmm. And to nurture and to care and to uh, defend these these women because um, I, I just think that it's it it's been given to uh, to men to actually do that and that's why women are giving themselves up and that's mm-hmm. why that there's these uh, interactions that are so quick on Tinder and then that that's when the guy comes out of it and goes I'm not interested in that girl anymore because mm-hmm. they had sex but she might be. Not that he won't be, you know. There's that it can happen both ways, but I feel like there's there's more of a tendency that once a guy, uh, you know, conquers the mountain, mm-hmm. it's like okay, like where's another mountain? Mm-hmm. It's no longer, uh, you know, something that that's to be conquered. When my relationship, we we actually waited till we were married, mm-hmm. and so my wife is gorgeous, and I'm very sexually attracted to her uh, every day. Like mm-hmm. doesn't. Like the, and that didn't that didn't go away when here I am you know praying to the Lord and asking God to like you know yeah he doesn't take that away like that is a biological urge that I have and you know we we made uh, smart decisions in our dating life you know to be with people you know and and even your parents were a good influence in that as well like you know spending time with 
older married couples and have and and you know, not be alone together you know mm-hmm. not opening yourself up for that but this sex immediately while married didn't have that sting of i'm no longer interested in this person mm-hmm. and i can't define that i i can't tell anybody or convince anybody of it being different but it's a hundred percent different mm-hmm. and the, the sex that i was having uh out of wedlock out of the commitment of being with this person for the rest of my life was meaningless mm-hmm. and it would it would it fizzled away and there was it ruined the relationship but now in marriage it's it's lifeblood it's so mm-hmm. vital to our marriage and it's a connection point and you know it's a it's a sweet moment for loving each other mm-hmm. and i definitely do agree that there is something special in waiting like now that i've yes. not waited i guess it's like i definitely don't want to have it with a future partner right away i definitely want it to be something special after build up like i i am someone i think that just naturally thrives on emotional connection a lot more mm-hmm. like i'm much more into someone if there's an emotional connection there um and so i think and I've had conversations with a, a couple friends about it of how that has affected me, I think. And I just think in my relationship with growing up in the church, it just teaches you as much as I want to be better. It's really hard when you've been taught your whole life that like there's been a there's a there's a distinct fear of in the church talking about sex. In, yes. Like even when you education. brought it up, you said that you you talk. They talked about sex in the church. I was like, I'm surprised by that. Well, I mean, like they when aren't... they talked about sex in the church, I meant you can't have it before marriage. Like that's that's the, that's only, the only message. That's the only message. Yeah. So sex education is not a thing. Like I don't. If I can remember correctly, I never got it, except in grade nine, like uh, high school. Like it was never a conversation yes. with me. Um, so I've learned. So we mo- learned from porn. So I've learned. I was going to say I've learned most we learned of from it porn. through pornography. We, we watched pornography super young. Yeah, that's like across the board. Like yeah. guys are watching it, and even you know watching uh, cable television, mm-hmm. channel twenty seven or whatever after nine o'clock. Mm-hmm. You know there was Red Shoe Diaries or whatever. Like this was, I don't even know what channel that was. I, like, but that was it was uh, the lingerie ads. Mm-hmm. You know, there was it was trying to become uh, aware of my own sexuality at a very young age with zero guidance at all. Yeah. Just, just no one telling me, you know, this is what's what's appropriate, what's not appropriate, um, you know, and and that that's also that can be done negatively as well. Like, you know, a child is discovering their body, and then mother or father says, "Don't touch that." Mm-hmm. Immediately, there's a place on your body that's that's a no-no zone, mm-hmm. you know, and then that's creating shame. Like, you don't touch that; that's not okay. And and but it is okay. Mm-hmm. Like you have to understand it is okay. You have to have a healthy sexuality of, you know, sex is okay. Mm-hmm. Just you don't abuse it or you don't, you know, throw it away and, and there, there's a value to it. Yeah. Like I definitely think from when I grew up, even kissing on the TV was like close your eyes. So like even kissing yes. was like a bad interaction for yes. me. I was never really taught about sex except through pornography. And I think it's been a hypothesis in my head that that's why – there's a lot of damage within young people because if guys – so my reasoning for that is when if guys watch it young and girls aren't really into pornography as much as guys are, like I would say that's a fair – Statistically, like, I think that's yeah. accurate, yeah. I'd say that's a fair thing to say. But if guys are watching it younger and then girls haven't watched it and their first interaction of sex is together, the 
extremities that happen in porn are not natural things. Yes. So a, they kind of teach a girl. The guy who's been taught by porn is teaching a girl how to have sex. Yes. And there's very vulgar things that are not passionate things in a lot of like the main pages of porn porn uh, websites. And I think that has been a really it starts I think that's been one of the major reasons why sexual harassment has actually inflated mm-hmm. a lot is cuz because guys think a certain thing is normal and girl like they haven't been taught very well that that thing might not be normal. Yeah. Unless and then if you break that out of a marriage the the line is a lot different. So some girls have different lines of what they were willing to do than others and if a guy is with a girl beforehand that was able to do or willing to do more extreme things he's going to try to push that new girl into doing more extreme things Mm -hmm. which is where the line gets really blurry and i think as much as there's been no real studies into how pornography really affects like rape cases and whatnot i have read books uh about that that kind of bring it up and and mention it um you i definitely think there is not a I think there's a distinct correlation between the fact that men are watching it younger and women are being taught by men who have watched porn yeah. as to why the and, sex and, life And is... women want to be attractive like a porn star is because mm-hmm. if you think about, uh, you know, a guy's affection when he's looking at a screen, you know, the the girl that's interested in this guy is like, I want to be looked at like that, mm-hmm. you know, if they ever see it or whatever, or I want to be that desirable. And so they're looking and seeing, oh, what do these girls look like? How do they act? How do they do different things? Whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that then that becomes, oh, well, I'll do that. And, you know, am I hot stuff if I do that? And it's and it's this, you know, deep insecurity mm-hmm. of, of not knowing who you are and not knowing your value and not knowing um, that this is a manufactured thing. And there's lots of interviews with porn stars and uh, men that are saying like I do not sleep with my partner the same way I have sex on camera mm-hmm. like it's, a, it's unnatural the way that we're doing this you know we're, it's all for angles and lighting. angles trying to make sure that the camera can get in there there's another person operating a camera it's not a GoPro mm-hmm. like he's not wearing a head thing and, yeah. and it's like there's another person with a camera over the guy's shoulder and uh, even that like it, it's actually what you're watching is is prostitution on camera that's all mm-hmm. it is it's just someone's getting paid for a sexual act and it's being filmed. Mm-hmm. And and they're 80% of it, some grossly high statistic, is all violent towards women. It's objectifying. Mm-hmm. And that's why this, this sexual harassment stuff seems cool. It's like it seems all right. It's like, oh, yeah, we say that to girls. And they like it. Mm-hmm. And what's really bizarre is some girls do. Yeah. And and, and even in a, a private relationship, uh, you know, there, there can be some really negative things spoken, like even in, in sexuality, like, oh, you're, you're this or dirty that mm-hmm. or whatever, like in, but like, really? Like, this is someone that you love and that you care for and you give everything to and it's just, it's not natural. Yeah. What, what's being presented. Yeah. And, no. And it's a, it's unfortunate that we don't have, you know, the law of first mention. Like, I want to hear from someone telling me the truth about sex before I'm able to, because then I have to unbelieve all the things I learned before that, mm-hmm. right? Like you, parents are getting to these conversations at 14, 15, like your kids know at 10. Yeah. Ten, unfortunately, that's true. And I'm not saying, I'm, and I'm not saying it's anyone else's responsibility. I believe it's the parent responsibility. Mm-hmm. Whatever your belief as a parent is, you need to get to your kids fast. Yeah. Because they're hearing it at school. They're hearing it from, they got a cell phone. They're on the internet. 
And if you're on a porn website, it's talking about stepsister. It's talking about it's got it's got uh, graphics of of these uh, like animated characters, mm-hmm. like monsters and stuff. hentai. <laughs> like what in the world is that? Yeah. Like what? And it's just distorting the image of in the sanctity of of what marriage is and a man and a woman. And so you go on these porn websites and it's a whole mismatch of intentionally placed very very uh opposite to what sexuality really is yeah and right there main page yeah and i definitely think just based off of even my relationship in the church we it's never talked about that's why with health or with uh public education now it is i think it's a good great thing that it's being taught in like grade three or four whatever it is now because parents are so taboo about it when it should be the conversation of like you said it should be the parents responsibility yes. but if the parents aren't going to be responsible the schools have to take over and i think well i it, think that they need to be equipped like if, if a child comes in first and already has law of first mention meaning the first time that they've been told about this mm-hmm. was from their parents mm-hmm. then they can go into the the school and the school is telling them maybe different things mm-hmm. maybe the same things Depending on the belief of the school, it could mm-hmm. be very liberal, and you've got a conservative Christian household that's teaching you a different value system mm-hmm. or what love looks like, and and so on. And uh, as long as they have it first from the parent, and then I guess what you're saying is there's a gap because they're not getting it from their parents, and then it's being filled because yeah, they're public. Uh, they're not getting it from their parents at all. I can tell you that. And then t- the especially religious typically aren't stay away from it they don't want it there's fights and protests about having that sex education in the public schools but it's yes. like well you're not telling them at home someone's got to do it someone's got to do it and if you're not going to do it it's an interesting then give proposal. it to the school yeah and, and that's that's a failure point on on you know raising children yeah and and i think with this day and age i was taught through television i was taught through lingerie ads i was mm-hmm. taught through pornography and unlearning that stuff and 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 having you know another message come in that's the truth for me mm-hmm. that i have to now undo all of those programs that are already set in my head mm-hmm. where i think that this is appropriate or whatever it is yeah um and yeah by the grace of god those things are are new for me and i've discovered sex for brand new mm-hmm. and so 2016 i believe my my virginity was restored and i actually i didn't have sex until i i was actually married to my wife since that awakening that happened mm-hmm. and and that is a freaking miracle period like no one can go from where i was to absolute uh, abstinence mm-hmm. and that period of time is Unfreaking believable because yeah. I was very sick, and I had I had I had a sickness in my body in my in my mind, and I was out of control. Yeah, and and it was not glamorous, and that's the other part of this that guys tend to think that this stuff's glamorous. It's mm-hmm. not, and it's it's just not a glamorous thing. So, in, in regards to that, what do you think the church could do better? Because even in my experience, the two not going into too much detail, but the the image of like married men that I have in my life from the church, not like not referring to my 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 own parents, but in regards to like the youth pastors I had mm-hmm. was not great. Yes. Like my experience with them was that they failed in their marriage as men. Yes, um, and that might not be fair. I don't know all the details, but it, from what I was in, just from learning from them, um, I think if I look back, that was a huge. Like 
um, deterrent for me continuing to go to the church is that I had a lot of bad or um, not great role models in that sense. Mm -hmm. And again, no one taught me about what being a good husband was other than my dad. Yes. Which I think is the most important person to do it, but there wasn't really much else. So when I look at the church, I see failure to teach me about sex, failure to educate me about sex, put a lot of shame on people that have sex, put put a lot of shame on people that have divorce. There's just a lot of... I think my main issue with the church is that it teaches you to have shame. Mm. And it wasn't a lot about recovery from that shame. Mm -hmm. It was just, you were bad. Now God will fix you. I'm like, well, if I don't believe in God... How do I fix myself if I know I'm still broken, but I don't have that God to turn to? Or how do I – I'm too ashamed to go to church or mm-hmm. I'm too ashamed to do this. And, and no one ever taught me anything about what it takes, what sex is, uh, how to fix that or, you know, in air quotes, fix that part of you. Yes. So what do you think are, are things that the church – could do should do i know you're part of like a men's group yeah and i think that would probably be very healing for you but like what how do you see the failures of the church (laughs) the list is long (laughs) (laughs) like there's a there's a long list and and there's a there's a lack of disorganization or lack of organization sorry Mm -hmm. it is disorganized unfortunately and um especially with all different denominations then you know if you want you want to start a church right now we and you will start a church we can start a church tomorrow we can you know register the nonprofit and we can do it mm-hmm. i think that might be part of the issue you know there's there's a lot of churches that have a lot of accountability and a lot of uh boards and leaders and you know they're subject to someone else mm-hmm. um but that's not the case in all churches and so um you know, the Catholic Church, you can trace from bishop ordaining another bishop, ordaining another bishop, all the way back to Peter. Mm-hmm. And they have all those records of all these churches that have been set up through bishops. But yet, even with that accountability, there's been a lot of scandal. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, organizing a church that's going to be perfect, you either, it's never going to happen, or you need an actual power of god in your church to actually make that thing possible what i think is actually the more likely answer to this is that you have a true message of redemption and a true message of we are figuring this out you know even though i'm at the top of this pulpit i struggle i'm not doing well in this i'm not doing well in this vulnerability and this confessional way of leading that's going to make things more human Mm -hmm. um it doesn't excuse the behavior. That's the other thing mm-hmm. that I, I'm pretty big on. Like you've been redeemed. You don't have to be a slave to sin anymore. You don't have to live uh, opposed to God. You can live and you can glorify him and, and, you know, have your life be completely made new and be obedient. Mm-hmm. I believe that. And that that's been a struggle because then we have uh, a group that talks about things that are going wrong in everyone's life. And so how do you balance that? Like mm-hmm. everyone's doing well and everyone's, but then, or everyone's not doing well, or everyone is doing well. And like, you know, we're trying to just be alive and, and glorify God and, and just be um, redeemed. So I just think apart from having the power of God, there's really, 
there's no other way of living life, period, for mm-hmm. me. I can't do it. I can't live a single day without him completely taking my body over and being alive for me mm-hmm. because I can't handle it. I've done it by myself. I screwed up my whole life, and I need to just surrender mm-hmm. for, for what he's going to do. Uh, but one of the practical things for sexuality in the church is the simple teaching that I just brought at the very beginning of this. It's like understanding our bodies and you know what a blood covenant is, what true sex is in a marriage and why. Mm-hmm. You know, that just talk about the biology. Don't leave out biology uh, for the sake of spirituality. And and I think being much more involved in modern dating than maybe the church feels comfortable doing. Um, because a lot of the pastors have children. A lot of pastors are married, which I find kind of strange just up front mm-hmm. because it says that it's harder to be married and serve God. Like in, in the scriptures, like it actually might be more beneficial to have some pastors that aren't married because then they can just really go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then they think the argument is, well, then you won't be relatable to marriage people. Yes, you will. Like Paul wrote most of the New Testament and he was not married. Or they, I think his wife may have died. There's a lot of story, backstory there, but... <laughs> Because um, he was married as a early in the church. Anyway, that's yeah. a whole other thing. <laughs> but talking about the biology, talking about you know what's really happening, and and encouraging the parents to give that message to their kids. Because I don't think it's the you know sit in the church service and say it to the children. I don't think that's appropriate. I think it needs to be a, an equipping and a training of the parents to then go and then teach their kids. Mm-hmm. You know, this is what. Like, your virginity is the most valuable thing you have, period. And if you hold on to that, it becomes more and more valuable. And the longer that you have it, the, lo- the more valuable it becomes. And, the, and the, actually, the more restraint and the more you have to defend it, the more you have to run. Because I don't believe in restraining yourself and putting yourself in bad situations that you have to now defend yourself. No. Mm-hmm. Have you have be wise. Like don't put yourself in a situation where you have to restrain yourself. You know, just don't go there. Don't, you know, be smart about your relationships and and then training these kids that make those decisions because they're adults younger now. Like they really are. They're mm-hmm. making decisions and they're adults younger, they're more mature and they have to carry that because their parents aren't going to be there when they're in their dorm. They're not going to be there when they're out on the weekend or whatever. They're not going to always be there and the kids need to be the ones that are strong mm-hmm. and know who they are and their own value, especially women. Like it, a woman that says like absolutely not, no no chance and then removes themselves from those situations, like that's an impact on a guy. They might say, oh, she's a prude or whatever. Mm-hmm. But taking that and being like, no, I'm actually more valuable and – I think it's a training and equipping that goes to the people. Mm-hmm. A long way of answering that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I apologize. Like <laughs> cut half that, you know, just go to the very end. <laughs> no, I, I think it's um I've never understood the the prude argument myself in terms of she just doesn't want to do it. She doesn't want to be there. And I never have liked guys that like pressure her or call her. It's the man. The amount of guys that call a woman a slut because they don't want to have sex with them mm-hmm. is like, how does that make any sense? Like, <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't make any sense yes. that you're calling her a slut because she doesn't want to have sex with you. But that's what a lot of guys do. Is like, wow. oh, like, and I've heard it. I've seen it. Like, I stay. I tried to stay away from clubs as much as possible when I was in university, just because I didn't like a lot of the energy that was there. Like, yes. I always went with girlfriends. 
And so I always felt like I had to protect them because yeah. a lot of slimy guys would come over. Yep. And I've heard stories about, you know, some of my friends who are at a party or at a club and guys will come over and just start, like, they'll put their hands down their pants. Mm. No introduction, wow. no anything. Just they put their hands down their pants. I'm like, what are that's you doing? sexual harassment? Yeah. And the, but the thing is, is that it's that's been normalized. The, you don't complain about it because at, at a club it's hard to do. You can't fight that it's dark it's dingy you don't see like who is you don't really you can turn around and there might be another guy there it wasn't him it was another guy that breezed past you like there's so many things at clubs that i've heard about that happen so i just did my best to stay away from them because when yeah. i was with my friends i'd be so overprotective some most like half the time i didn't even drink when i went because i was just like i had to be fully attentive mm-hmm. or i felt like i had to and i'd have to like move like i remember so many times where i was in a group and we're dancing and then we'd all shuffle so that because there's a guy behind one of my friends, we'd all shuffle around till I'm in front of him, and then he'll say something to me about how I'm cock blocking him. And I'm like, she doesn't want you, leave. Yes. And he'll be like, no, that's not true. She wanted me. I'm like, why do you think we moved, man? Like that's not. There's a there's a correlation there. Mm-hmm. And so that was the darkness that I saw in a lot of situations, um, and I think, like I just don't understand how that how that's become normalized i understand other things in society that have become yeah. normalized like it's like I, you you've, you've paid the fee you've gone through the front door there's your yeah. invitation for sexual harassment yeah like you're here and you're wearing something that's scandalous yeah you're wearing high heels and a short dress and therefore that means you are prey for us to and that's the, that's always been a thing too is like girls are encouraged to get in for free or cheaper yes. girls like are there's an encouragement for girls to flirt with guys get a free drink the guys then become upset and they have no right to be upset. If a girl swindles you out of a free drink, mm-hmm. good on her. But then the guy gets angry. And then he he feels like now you're his property because he bought you a drink. Right. So there's a lot of things that go into clubbing that I'm just not a huge fan of. And it seems like no side will kind of admit that there's flaws on like yes. both, both guys and girls want to admit right. that you're, you're wearing flaws. something that's turning men on. You have a responsibility. Like mm-hmm. maybe don't wear that. See, I don't think across that lines like i i understand it yes but to me it's always the objective of the man to not feel like she's hers or and i i do i have heard i've been with girls that have made comments of like oh i'm dressed like a stripper tonight or they 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 know what they're doing i don't think they don't know what they're doing they want the attention but they don't want the attention they they they, they want to be gawked and looked at and made feel uh, you know, this is a projection, mm-hmm. but you know, made to feel I'm wanted, and that's a yearning of the heart, and it's a good desire. It's just when it's expressed like that, then you're gonna get bad. You're gonna get older men. It's like TikTok. Mm-hmm. They're all forty men, forty year old men plus whatever. That's like the denominator. They have like a stats on it. Oh really? And then it's like, and then it's young girls, and it's just you know creepy comments in the comment section about. These girls that are on there dancing and they're trying to get attention. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole point. I want attention, but I don't want this attention. Mm-hmm. You know, and that that you I don't know if you can filter that. Like yeah. you can do it digitally, but you can't walk down the street and decide who's gonna like what you look like or not. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think the modesty and my wife is an extremely a beneficial example of that. Like she does not dress scandalously mm-hmm. and she's got a very beautiful figure 
and she's she's perfect in in the way that I I'm so attracted to her. But when she goes out, she does not flaunt anything. She doesn't show it off. She doesn't make herself become an object, mm-hmm. and that can be gawked at because she knows who she is. She's secure. She's very healthy in her own even with before uh being married she was like that because she was raised with like you are a treasure mm-hmm. uh because her dad was pouring that and her mom was pouring that into her like you are a treasure to behold and you know you you have to be very careful about how you dress mm-hmm. and you know it's not solely the the woman's responsibility it's a hundred percent the guy's responsibility mm-hmm. it's just this weird place where it's like well if you're dressing like that and you're being treated like it's like my other example is if you dress like a drug dealer and you get harassed by the police that's not the police's fault mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying like if you want to sell drugs wear a suit you know like look like a normal person because why is it that all drug dealers want to be wearing all designer stuff or mm-hmm. whatever it is? Make another generalization, but it's like if you really wanted to do crime, like try blending in. Yeah, and don't be upset when someone like looks at you different, or if you don't get good service when you go to a restaurant. I wear a suit. I wear a, a tie to work. I don't have to wear a tie. I wear a tie to work, and. Uh, when I go to a restaurant, I get better seating. And then the days that I wear a sweatpants and I go outside, I'm like, why aren't they like – I'm used to like a certain level of speed here and they're mm-hmm. going a little slower with the hostess and I'm going, what's the difference here? And it's like literally the way that I'm dressing. Yeah. And I'm so oblivious that I didn't realize like, oh my gosh, I look like a slob and they, they don't want me to – they don't think I'm going to tip them. Yeah. I've gone on a tangent, but it's like the same thing of like your appearance physically is going to interact with the world and we have some responsibility to that. Yeah. And I definitely think the combination of the environment and the alcohol all mixes in to make it even a worse experience for everyone involved. It sounded like a disaster. Like if you're like selling clubs to me, I'm completely not sold. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm like, never going. No, I I do my best to stay away unless I, I know I'm going with a group of friends. I also only go if I know my intention or like I'm going to be happy. Like, yes. it's the same with um, alcohol. I don't drink if I am in a bad mood or I'm in a sour oh, mood. Oh, that's a, that's a good uh, like rule. I, yeah, like I don't do it. Like if I was in university and my friends are like, want to come out tonight, I'd be like, yeah, I'll come out tonight, but I probably won't drink. I'll drink at the pre because like I, I'm having fun there. But if I'm going out afterwards, I'm probably not going to drink at the club because I'm not going to have – or I'd just go to the pre and I wouldn't go to the club. Or I'd go to the pre, and if I was had a bad day, I wouldn't drink at the pre because I'm like, I don't need, I don't want to put that on myself to mm. then go back home lonely, drunk. Like that's not pressure I want to put on myself. I don't want to. I know people that drank alone in, in university, and they they started to do that, and I'm like, that's the saddest thing I've ever heard in my life. Yes. So I didn't ever allow myself to go into that, um, mainly because, um, I, I. I think alcohol is a depressant in the yes, first place. it's a downer, yeah. Yeah, it's a downer. And so I don't – I think that's where the addiction comes from is when you use it when you're sad or you use it to need to be something else that you're not. Yes. And so I'd only go into it if I knew I was going to have a good t- good time and a good day and I, that's when I drink. Like I don't drink otherwise. Or if I'm like out at a bar with some friends, I have a, I have a beer or something. But it's it's never done in an environment where I'm no going into it that I'm upset mm-hmm. or I'm going to be upset or I'm trying to make myself feel escape better. Escape from something. Yeah, yeah. I never use it as an escape. I think to me, people that always said like weed isn't addictive or anything like that. I think maybe the substance isn't addictive, but the thing that is addictive is what you're escaping from and yes. the escape the thing that you're using it to escape from, like. 
if I think back to high school, I played video games a lot and I, I used that to escape loneliness. So, mm. the, so video games became an escape. I know people that are sad and anxious all the time and so they smoke or they can't go to sleep. So they smoke to yeah. make themselves restful. And then that's where the addiction comes in because now they can't sleep without weed. Mm-hmm. And they're like, I'm not addicted to weed. It just makes me feel better so I can sleep better. I'm like, no, because whatever you're doing is an escape for why you need to sleep. Like, why don't you try journaling sometime? If, I, if I'm if i having trouble sleeping, I grab a, my laptop or a piece of pen and paper and I write down every thought that's in my mind. No sen- no periods or anything like that. It's just a full-on ramble. And then I sleep like a baby. And I know that may wow. not work for everyone. That's cool. But I think if you're needing weed to sleep, you're addicted like that's the moment and i have friends yeah, it's, it's mostly for eating too like I, I they don't have an appetite unless they're smoking weed and mm. it's like and it's the same thing as sleep they, they they need to smoke they only smoke before bed mm-hmm. and then oh i don't want to stop doing this because then i don't know if i'll be able to sleep it's like that fear it's like you know i deal with people that are that are struggling with heroin it's like that fear of of the the uh coming off the drugs and and that fear is what's keeping them on the drugs mm-hmm. and if that's happening on a heroin level and it's happening on a on a, on a smoking pot level it's the same it's the same fear that's mm-hmm. keeping people attached to whatever's comfortable and repeatable and that's any sort of addiction yeah so it, i'm like maybe weed isn't an addictive drug and studies have shown that it's not i think like, kush has come out that kush is has some addictive problems isn't the same thing it's a strain, but it's a oh. different strain. And it's more potent, and mm. uh, I remember when that first was released, they had a study on it, and they said that this actually this strain is actually showing that there's some uh, biology that is addicted to a okay. substance. I definitely think that it's the escape, the thing that you're escaping from. That is the reason why that becomes the addiction, yeah. not like the substance itself. Like I used to drink in the middle of the day. I used to love that. Mm-hmm. Like my ideal day before, when I, was, I haven't drank, it's probably been nine or ten years. I, I don't know exactly. It's a year behind my friend's dad. Mm-hmm. And he's, and it's because it was that day that I stopped. And uh, and this is like not even a sip. Like I've I've accidentally drank a couple times throughout the the ten years, nine years, something. Mm-hmm. Um, but before that, it was like being drunk in the middle of the day was the highlight. Like I would lo- like maybe because it's a downer and because I'm naturally kind of a, a mellow person, it was like oh, but it's, with the, when the sun's up, this is cool. Mm-hmm. Like if I get drunk in the middle of the day and then like fall asleep and then wake up again and then maybe drink before dinner, that was like the best day ever. That was like St. Patrick's Day at Laurier, <laughs> right? And just like crowd the streets with yeah. thousands and thousands of people, and that and and I think that that was the the real sickness. It was like it was like I'm doing this because I'm trying to create this false environment that's not actually my reality, mm-hmm. and you know that is a form of escapism. I'm trying to get out. Mm-hmm. That's it. 